Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russell, one more time, coming to you with uh, my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing today, bro? It's a interesting journey in a fallen world with a God who offers us himself. So uh, we're in the laboratory testing uh, the truthfulness of this thing, and it's working. Well, it is, but I tell you, I wish that my life looked more like a Hallmark card sometimes, <laughs> but it doesn't. <laughs> you know, our listeners uh, have joined us. Uh, if you're joining us today, you've, uh, you've joined us in week four of our podcast series on Law and Grace. And we encourage you, please, to check out those earlier podcasts. We trust they'll be a blessing to you. And today we're beginning part two in our discussion on the flesh. Now, last week, Frank, we covered some very interesting topics. We began with the very bad news of death in Adam. Not the sin of Adam, but the result of that sin on them and on us. So I want to just take a moment, Frank, tell us again why the death in Adam is so critical for us to understand. After all, all we do is hear about sin in church. Jesus died for our sins. So why is this death in Adam side so critical? Well, death, great question, John. Uh, death by its most simplest definition is separation. And, you know, when somebody physically dies, their soul and spirit separate from their physical body. But in Adam, we're moving way beyond physical death to spiritual death and the fact that man became separated from God. And when that happened, there are two main, uh, oh, how should we say, it? consequences of, of that choice that Adam made. One is he lost his true identity as a child of God, as a vessel of the life of God, as a creation of God, the significance and value that that held for him as an individual made in the image of God. And because that has happened, man now is like a compass with no true north. He will point anywhere and everywhere to try to find a life of value and significance. The second thing that happened was separated from God. He separated himself from the economy God had established for him. God made man a receiver. Man is a derivative being. And so when he was separated from God, he lost that economy of receiving when he ate from the tree of right and wrong and determined for himself that instead of being a receiver, he would become an achiever. He would try to derive, instead of deriving life, he would be his own originator of life. And of course, man cannot do that. And so what has happened is it's a universal law that a man, woman can only give to somebody else what they have. 
And so since man died in Adam, death is really the only thing that we can offer to another person. I believe that the whole point of the law is that we cannot love. Because if you look at the law, all the law is is love stated negatively. Don't kill, don't steal, don't covet. Well, if I love you, I would never do those things to you. And so we are now living in what's called the flesh, apart from Christ anyway. And the flesh is simply man's attempts to manipulate his environment, using his resources to get his needs met, independent of God. And that means basically that every man, every woman in Adam is a user and an abuser. Uh, We don't like to think about ourselves like that, but that's the harsh reality of what Adam accomplished for all of us when he made that choice. Well, that's why Apostle Paul in Romans 5 uses these interesting phrases, death passed to all, and death reigned as a king with absolute power. So I can see now how that death in Adam can be so absolutely destructive. It's not what he did only. It's the impact it had on him and how his entire frame of reference was changed. Now, your reference to flesh, my friend, and you made an interesting comment last week that you liken the flesh in the life of a believer to a splinter. Mm. Uh, Can you take just a moment and elaborate on that for our listeners? Some might not have heard it last week. Again, a very important question, John. Because when we come back to Christ, those two negative consequences that Adam brought to us get reversed. Uh, We get reestablished back to a true identity with God as his child and back to an economy of receiving from God all that he is to whatever we need. And so we are no longer, once we've come to Christ, to be identified by our behavior. We're to be identified by our birth. We were born in Adam, but now we've been reborn in Christ. And so we don't want to define ourselves by the flesh. And so Paul made it very clear in the book of Romans in chapter 7 that flesh, that the power of sin is in our flesh. It's in us, but it's not us. And that's why that analogy of a a splinter is so good. A splinter may be in my body, but it is not me. And that splinter may cause all kinds of trouble, but it is not me. That's the one uh, key dynamic that we need to get into our minds. My behavior does not determine who I am. I have flesh, but it doesn't define me. Otherwise, you and I could bark like a dog and say we're dogs or go to McDonald's and say we're a hamburger. But behavior does not determine my identity. I have flesh, but it is not who I am. Well, this is important for us to grasp because how I feel does not determine how I choose. How Mm. I think and act now is a choice. We talked last time about set your mind on things above. Whatever is good, lovely, worthy of praise, set your mind on those. And I understand that. 
But I tell you something, Frank, I've had some really bad splinters in my life. And when that splinter's in there, my emotions are screaming a 10 out of 10. And so it's very difficult sometimes to respond in a situation when your flesh is screaming and it wants to react in a harsh, adverse way, but you know that that's not what Father would have us to do. And so it's not the easiest thing in the world to set our mind, is it, when our emotions are screaming? John, that is uh, such a powerful insight. Uh, not long ago, I was listening to a guy, and he was teaching, and he was really presenting a false picture of the Christian walk. He said, in Christ, we get to produce effortless fruit. And boy, I was screaming at the radio. I don't buy that for a minute. It's simple fruit. My only responsibility is to live in connection with Jesus Christ, to function as a branch to him, the true vine. It's very simple, but it's not effortless. It's hard for you and I to say no to our emotions when they're screaming at us to live contrary to who we are. It's hard to say no to my strength, my, my resources, and trust a God that I cannot see. I think that's you know why Hebrews said labor to enter in to the rest. And, and Paul in 2 Timothy 4 said, fight this good fight of faith. It's a fight to put our trust in God over and against what we feel. And I think the Greek there, and I don't like to throw Greek around, but this is very insightful. The Greek there is actually agonize in the good agony of faith. It's, it's hard work to say, I know how I feel, but I'm not gonna let my feelings control my life. That is hard work. You know, as you're talking, my mind races back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about an emotional gumbo for the Savior. He was by himself. His friends had fallen asleep. And I believe that Father unpacked at that time the sin of the world mm. and just gave Jesus a glimpse of what was coming. And I think his emotions just screamed out. And it would be so easy to say, not thy will, but mine be done. But he gritted his teeth. He agonized the agony. And he said, not mine, but your will be done. So this choice can be pretty hard because I'm sure that his emotions were 10 out of 10, just like mine seem like they are sometimes. Mm. My mind goes back again to, you remember our good friend, Bill and Annabelle Gillum. Mm. Uh, they talked about the mind and the emotions of the will and setting the mind. And they used these phrases, a thinker, a feeler, and a chooser. And they portrayed it as a train. The mind, the thinker, is kind of like the engine. The will, the chooser, kind of like the second car. And the emotions were the caboose. And when your life is functioning as God intended, you will set your mind you will then choose on what you set your mind and eventually your motions will follow. But my brother, we so often reverse that train. We put the emotion car first 
And I don't know how he did it. I guess he trusted Jesus, he trusted Father in a miraculous way. But our Savior put the right car first, didn't he? Yes. And I think that's, um, he provided for us the example, not of behavior. That's very key that we note that. But the example of method. He trusted his father in everything. And again, I come back to this. It's a very simple thing, but it's not necessarily easy. But that's the method we want to have. We want to say, I know how I feel, but what is the truth? And, you know, Dan Stone did a great service to the body of Christ in his book, uh, The Rest of the Gospel. Because he said, what comes after the but is what we really believe. And I think what happens to most people is we reverse that statement. We say, I know the truth, but this is how I feel. And then we're very easily led to make a choice to try to satisfy those emotions that are screaming. And it's a choice that's contrary to who we really are. And then we suffer some horrible consequences. Last week, Frank, we spent some time defining the flesh. And I want to go back to that definition and then use it as a springboard uh, to navigate the rest of the time on our podcast. And I want to take a moment and just summarize that definition for our listeners. We defined it like this. Walking after the flesh is using my resources my abilities to function independently of God, to capitalize on my strengths, whichever ones I have, minimize my weaknesses, because I want to control my environment so that I feel good about myself, I feel safe, and I feel right. So put yourself in a situation where that's your flesh, Frank, and you're surrounded by 200 people who each have their own versions of the flesh, and you are set up for conflict. Frankly, my friend, I found it difficult at times to interact with folks whose flesh patterns are extremely irritating, who are always led by my emotions. I'm being very honest here. We all know these folks. Mm. Everything is a crisis. Their lives are filled with fear. They always feel like they're victims. And frankly, I have found that dealing with the flesh of these people sometimes can be a real struggle, real suffering. And then I come to 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says he purposes to regard no one according to their flesh. By that, I think he means that he trusts the Holy Spirit to give him insight through the flesh, through their fears, through their emotions, to see the real heart of their issues. Mm. Now, that, you've that, done a lot of counseling, my um, friend. Uh, spend a few moments and comment on, on how that sorts out in that well, circumstance. That is, that is so good, John, because that is actually, you know, the ministry of God. He has given people a new identity. And now we get to function as God with skin on and help people recognize that identity. So when they come to us, we get the privilege of telling them, 
when they act out. That's not who you are. Uh, you may be acting like that, but it's not your true identity. And I am not going to reject you because of what you did. Now, we're going to deal with that behavior, but I'm going to accept you first according to your true identity. And there's such power in that, John. Um, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this because sometimes it's a real wrestle and the emotions are so strong. Uh, the behavior is so corrupt that people have a hard time believing who God says they are. But I want to share a circumstance that happened many, many years ago. And it was a young lady. She came into my office and I said, why are you here? And she said, because I'm a bulimic. And I don't handle people like this normally, John. I try to be very gentle, very accepting. But the Holy Spirit had me handle her a little differently. And I said, so why are you here? And she said, well, because I'm a bulimic. And I said, okay, so why are you here? And she said, well, I don't understand. I said, obviously you don't. And she said, uh, well, I was told I could get help here. And I said, well, why would you think that? And she said, because I'm a bulimic. And I said, exactly. So why are you here? And she was very frustrated. And then I said these words. I said, young lady, if you're a bulimic, you shouldn't be here. You should be going down to the local all-you-can-eat restaurant, stuffing your face, going outside to the parking lot, sticking your fingers down your throat, and taking all that you just ate out of your stomach, through your mouth, and puke all over the parking lot. And she said, I don't like the way that sounds. And I said, I agree. You don't like the way that sounds because that's not who you are. Who told you you were bulimic? And she said, well, my counselor did. And I said, that person gave you a false identity. They identified you by your behavior. And I'm telling you, you're a child of God who's acting like a bulimic. And she sat there for a few minutes, and I just sat there. And in a few minutes, she began to cry. But then those tears quickly gave way to a smile. And she looked at me and said, I'm not a bulimic. I said, no, you're not. And it was the short, one of the shortest counseling sessions I've ever had. Again, I don't want to provide that as the norm that very often people are really damaged and in bondage and we've got to be very careful with them. But I think the Holy Spirit knew this lady was tired of her behavior and ready for the truth. And he led me to just be bold with her with this message of our true identity in Christ. That's a powerful story, Frank. And I want to direct our listeners now to think about the story you just said and to question in their minds, how did Pastor Frank get to a point where he can see through the smokescreen of their flesh and get right to the heart of the issue? Because frankly, flesh can be deceiving. It can be lying. It can be confusing. And so I want to bring us to the end of our podcast, and I want to focus on a verse from Hebrews chapter 5, Frank, because I think this verse holds the key for all of us to be equipped 
to see through the flesh and to minister life the way you just described. Hebrews chapter five, verse eight says, Hebrews, uh, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, I don't pretend to understand all of that, but there are some things that I can see. We know that he already was a son, that's settled. And so his suffering didn't enable him to become a better son. His suffering enabled him to become our compassionate, understanding, high priest. Because a savior didn't have to be compassionate. A savior just have to pay the price. But a high priest has to be compassionate and understanding. And the same, my friend, is true for us. And I want to ask myself this question, ask our listeners this question. As we face the struggles that Father allows in our lives, as we come face to face with the flesh of people that are really irritating to us, how will we respond? Will we grit our teeth and say, thank you, Father. Show me through the smokescreen in myself and others and open my eyes to understand and give me compassion and forgiveness. Because frankly, Frank, I want to be like Paul. I want to walk in a way that I no longer regard any person, including myself, according to the flesh. Uh, that's what Jesus has equipped us to do. That's why he became our compassionate high priest. And he's put that understanding and that compassion ability in us. I saw it as you described your counseling situation. Uh, am I getting things sharp here? Am I getting to the point or am I missing it? Oh, I think it's exactly uh, summarizing what we're trying to say. Um, the flesh is our program, if you will, are attempting to live independent of God, running on battery power. Some people have good batteries, some people have bad batteries. But when they come to us and they, they are living contrary to Christ, whether it's uh, being arrogant and prideful or, or sinful and rebellious, it really doesn't matter. It's symptomatic of battery function. And they're bringing to the table what they have. And we have to see beyond what they're bringing to the table to who they really are, who's sitting at the table. And that's what we have to do. We have to remind them of who Jesus is to them and what he has accomplished for them. But it's, it's like I said before in this podcast today, it's not easy. It is a battle. If, if I could make this statement, John, you know, we were crucified with Christ. Romans 6 is so clear on that. Our old nature died. It got buried, resurrected. We are brand new creations. I believe the number one function of the flesh is to masquerade as our old man and make us think he's still around. And if you listen to Christians, they will often say, you know, I'm struggling with that old nature. No, 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 my friend. That old nature was crucified, buried, resurrected, brand new. You're struggling with your flesh. 
And if I can complete my thought, John, by a contrast, you know, in Ephesians 6, it says we wrestle not against the flesh, but against principalities, powers, spiritual forces, demons, all that sort of thing. We wrestle. But in Galatians 5, it says we war with the flesh. And I would ask, which is the greater battle? A wrestle or a war? I'm convinced that Satan is getting a lot of credit for our flesh. It is that big of a battle. I believe that's, in fact, our biggest battle. And I think Satan works through our flesh. So we have to recognize back to those two wonderful accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made us brand new and he put us back into an economy of receiving life from God instead of our feeble attempts to try and generate life independent of God. Huge topic today, John. I really thank you for bringing that to our listeners. Oh, it's my honor, my friend. And you hit the nail right on the head. You know, you and I have talked for many years now about the idea of putting together a marriage conference. And I'm thinking to myself while you're talking, I've been married for 42 years and counting. What makes that marriage work? It's because Father is working in, in me and in my wife to look past each other's flesh and see to the heart of our issues so we can minister life to each other when we're hurting. What a great message. Thanks again, my friend, for your time and your insights and your prayers today. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram under Our Resolute Hope and check out our website too, OurResoluteHope.com. You can learn a little bit more about us and our ministry and find some resources to help you walk through this troubled world. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.